Amen. Can you hear an amen? amen? Well done, orchestra. You pray for them. They're going to get ready for this recording, and they're not nervous yet, but they will be when they get closer there, and you pray for that. Let's stand for the reading of the Bible tonight. How many you glad to be in God's house tonight? John chapter 15, verse 16. I want you to learn that verse with me tonight and for these next several weeks. We started a series from, uh, from this verse of Scripture last week on entitled Fruit That Remains. We hope to get into booklet form sometime next year so it can be an instructional manual to help us to understand how to win souls. Now, before I read this, let me tell you my heart's desire. My heart's desire, number one, is that those of you who are faithfully uh, involved in soul winning and reaching people of Christ, I want you to stay in that. Uh, for some who have been maybe because of time circumstances, you haven't been unable to get involved. I want to re-enroll you to get back involved and just get you kind of fired up about that. And maybe for some tonight, thirdly, who are not involved and you're very timid and scared about just even talking to people, we just want to encourage you tonight to realize that this is this is a vital ministry that you can be a part of and everyone can have something to do. And Lord willing, we'll share some, some stories tonight of just this past week, even as of this morning, just a report that the deacons and I got at 6 o'clock this morning. It was a, such a blessing today and uh, that all of us can be an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we do, I'd like us to read John 15, 16, and then I want us to read Acts chapter 8 tonight because that's where our text will be for most of this evening. John 15, 16. Would you read that with me together, please? Ye have not chosen me and ordained you that ye should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Let's say that again. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's two things in that passage. One is that God has told us, as we saw last week, that he has commanded and, and, and called us to bear fruit that should remain. Long lasting fruit, abiding fruit. But he said with that, he gives us a wonderful promise. He says that whatsoever you should ask of the Father in his name, that will it do for us. He says if you pray for souls to be saved and people in the church, God, that's a prayer God wants to answer. Last Sunday night after, after I preached, there was a good, good turnout at the altar, the invitation of folks just very, very tenderhearted to the Lord. And one of our members came forward and prayed for someone to get saved, that they were burned, burned about. God put this person on their heart who'd come to our church before. And they claimed that verse of Scripture. And on, on Monday morning or Monday afternoon, that person trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're working on that person to get them into church here. They've got just a lot of struggles. And I understand tonight when you get saved, there's a lot of baggage you still got to deal with sometimes. Amen? And you got to deal past that baggage there. And so... You know, they need to know that the church is here to love them and to help them through that process. And, and they need to understand the relationship of the pastor to the congregation and the congregation to other members here. So, you know, I want to encourage you to know that verse and spend some time before you even begin praying about your, your list of people that you want to see saved. Claim this verse of Scripture with and watch what God's going to do. Now go with me to Acts chapter 8, would you please? Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. And I want us to read verses 29 to 38. We're going to be in verses 26 to 40, but I want you to notice verses 29 to 38 this evening. Verses 29 to 38, Acts chapter 8. And listen very carefully as I read the Scriptures. There's some choice phrases or words that you want to underscore in this. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. 
And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who should declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Then Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, Philip is mentioned all throughout chapter 8. He's a prominent personality in chapter 8. We find him mentioned a second, uh, a first time actually, in over in Acts chapter 6. He's first mentioned as one of the seven that the church saw busy serving God, winning souls, and being, uh, being a man of, uh, of honest report, filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And they said, well, here's a man busy serving the Lord. We think this man ought to be, who's filled with the Spirit and has God's wisdom, we think this man should come alongside of the apostles and serving them. And now we find him in chapter 8. He's a pioneer church planter going to the city of Samaria. He went to an area that nobody else thought about going to, and he dared to go there. God bless that campaign. Now we see him out, out in the middle of the desert. You have to understand the Gaza Desert talked about that strip there, which is going towards the coastline. That's, that's an area that's inhabited by the Philistines, the, the, old, the old Philistines. And we find him later on here on this area that's the coastline there, which were coastal Philistine cities there. And he's there talking to a man. We don't have his name. We just know the identity of this man being that he was a man from Ethiopia of great authority. He was a financial man. He probably was in in charge of the Department of Treasury for the country of Ethiopia there, based on what the Bible says there. But we know one thing. This man got saved. And later on, we read about, about Philip. In Acts chapter 21, he's called Philip the Evangelist. Now, I want you to notice something. The word evangelist is not mentioned in Acts chapter 8, but the work of the evangelist is all throughout this chapter. Everywhere you see the word preach here, it speaks, it's, it has, it's the root word for where we get our word evangelist from. It says he opened his mouth and he preached. The word evangelist is where we get our idea of evangelizing. Now, I'm going to dispel some myths tonight, but I want to tell you tonight why everybody in this church is an evangelist for Jesus. Christ. Everyone here tonight needs to be an evangelist, just like Philip. And we're going to see what Paul said to Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. And tonight, I want us just to just let the Lord help our hearts be tender, and as we consider doing the work of the evangelist. Now, Father, already tonight we've been so encouraged by the choir and the orchestra, our congregational singing, just that very last song, to set my soul on fire. Thank you for putting on Dr. John R. Rice's heart many years ago to put that song into a hymnal. 
And for many, many years, that song was sung in national sword of the Lord and regional sword of the Lord conferences and still is prevalent in our local New Testament churches. Tonight, Lord, we need a fire from God on the on just the cusp of the eve, the celebration, I guess, of the, uh, you know, the the 242nd or so uh, 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 celebration of the Declaration of Independence. God, our country is in great need of you. And Lord, this country is in need of Christians like ourselves who get on fire for God and where you've placed us and to win souls to the Lord. Now, Father, my heart's burden this summer as we get ready to go into that new building. As a church, we are on the same page with you. We are on board with God's plan. That, Lord, we sense what you want us to do. And, Lord, not out of coercion, but because the love of Christ constrains us, that we are going to follow the Lord and being so winners and witnesses and effective and just getting people to Christ and whatever it takes to do that. Now, Father, would you use this message and use me tonight to be a blessing to your people? Would you feed this flock of God? Help me to take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, definitely not for filthy lucre, but doing it of a willing mind, not as being a lord over God's heritage, but an example to the flock. I pray this evening that, Lord, you transcend in this meeting what your thoughts are about winning souls, that you've said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, that will I do for you. Thank you. That's Jesus' invitation to pray and to launch out by faith, as we said this morning, going faith forward so that, Lord, you would use this church to do great things for your glory. Bless, we pray this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the series entitled Fruit That Remains. And my whole desire and intent is that we would just be burdened and to learn the nuts and bolts and the essential tools of how to get the gospel to people, how to lead them to Christ, how to get them in the church and to stay in the church. I believe tonight that every single one of God's people can be a soul winner that God can use. I believe that every one of us can be spirit-filled soul winners that God can bless and use. I definitely believe that every one of us should and can be a gospel witness of declaring and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that all of us need to be obedient to Acts chapter 1a, that we shall be witnesses unto Him. We need to be witnesses of the things of God. Tonight, our message centers on this man by the name of Philip. Philip, as I mentioned earlier, was one of the seven. He's named after Stephen there in Acts chapter 6. The seven men who God, at a, at a critical moment in the life of the New Testament church, kind of put these men in a, in a place where they served alongside the apostles and reaching people and touching lives. And the Bible says at that time that the church was multiplying in disciples because of that. We see in this man the work of the evangelist. Go with me to Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. In Acts 20, chapter 21 verse 8, we have that very first mention there. We're going to look at a lot of Bible tonight. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, it says, And the next day uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him there. Now, as you look at the end of this chapter in Acts chapter 8, he makes his way to the coastal cities. Caesarea was a coastal city. He goes first as he goes to these many cities preaching the gospel. He goes to a city called Azotus. Azotus was ancient Ashdod. It was ancient Ashdod of the Philistines. And from there, he went to Caesarea. And there at Caesarea, that's where God wanted him to headquarter himself and to station himself. And he's known as Philip the evangelist. Now, an evangelist, or as we would know them, a full-time evangelist is one whose ministry revolves around evangelism and edification. 
sanctification. I think of our good friend, Dr. Tom Farrell, who will be with us later this year. I think about our good friend, Brother Dwight Smith. These men are evangelists. Dr. John Getch, they are evangelists. They definitely have a call of God. An evangelist has a unique calling of God for the preaching and declaration of the Scriptures. They have an unusual ability that's gifted by God to make the Scriptures clear and plain and understandable. They have an unusual ability through that communication of being able to explain the gospel such a way that people in large numbers come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Dr. Farrell, I doubt, has had any meetings wherever he's gone where there have not been people saved. When the last time he was here, we saw scores of people saved. When the meeting he was at before he came to our church three or four years ago, he saw scores of people saved. That man is used of God all over the world. And evangelist is a man who's a gift to the local church. Go with me to act, uh, let's see, Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. This is not in your notes. I don't want you stuck in your notes. I want you stuck in the Bible. Amen? Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4, would you notice some things the Bible says here? And I'm just going to give you some side thoughts because I need to cast some vision, tell you some things that are getting us ready for the new building there. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, notice what it says here. And it says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The, the, the work of the evangelist is the, he's a gift to the local church. The evangelist serves alongside with the pastor and complementing the gift of the pastor and getting the gospel message out and reaching people for Christ. The word for evangelist is talking about someone who's evangelizing and reaching people with the Lord, for the Lord. Notice verse 12. And by the way, verse 12 is our theme verse we're going to be using for the new educational building. The theme verse for that building is this, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of this ministry for the edifying of the body Christ. That building was, is being built and constructed and will be open for one purpose, and that is for training servant leaders for the Lord, of discipling souls, of preaching the gospel, of doing exactly everything Ephesians 4.12 says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the building up of the body, the maturing of Christ. As you, you walk with me through that building, I'm casting a lot of vision for people to imagine, beginning with the nursery, going all the way up to every classroom. Imagine starting with the nursery, that we're going, we're going to effectively teach the Word of God. We're going to make the Word of God not prominent. We're going to make the Word of God preeminent. We're trying to do that right now. It's trying to make it preeminent. That when people come to this church, they know that it's about the Word of God. They know that the Bible is preached. We're not on a political agenda. We're not on some other bent. There's just one thing we major and focus on and we do a good job at, and that's the proclamation of God's Word. And Philip was an evangelist. Philip there was, was perhaps the first, uh, what you call, full-time evangelist for the local church there at Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> if you notice, you'll go with me over to Second Timothy. For those of you new to the faith, I want you to see where this is at in the Bible. Second Timothy 4, 5. Members look around you. If someone doesn't turn there quickly, that means they don't know where this is at. Help them find their place in the Bible. Would you do that, please? Amen? And notice 2 Timothy 4, 5 of the many things that Paul told Timothy to be aware of, to do, to function at, at the, at, at, at the, at the last chapter, this very last thing that Paul wrote. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, the work of the evangelist, I'm going to give you some things, this may not be in your notes, I want you to write this down. The work of the evangelist, because I'm talking about you and me this evening being evangelists of the, of the Heritage Baptist Church. I want you to notice this. The work of the evangelist is to seize opportunities to win souls to Christ. The work of the evangelist is to seize opportunities to win souls to Christ. Number two, 
The work of the evangelist is to help build up believers. We're to encourage. I believe, just as Dr. Chapel has many times said, I believe that so when he is caught more than is taught. We need to set a good example in witnessing. As a pastor, I want to set the example in witnessing. As a pastor, I want to make sure you know that your pastor is when he says, by the way, go with me to 1 Peter 5.1. I believe 1 Peter 5.1 reminds us that pastors are to win souls. Notice 1 Peter 5.1 with me. Would you do that, please? Are you with me? First Peter 5.1. Notice what it says here. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. And notice this, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. I believe that every pastor is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I believe, and you listen to me tonight, I believe a pastor who's not winning souls is out of the will of God. I believe a pastor who's not making sowing the focus of the church and reaching souls for Christ has not caught the essence of the Great Commission calling. He doesn't have a clear understanding of Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 is not just a missions conference theme. That is the 20, that is the, that is the 365 day a year, 366 in the leap year, amen. That is the, that is the mission of the local New Testament church. People spend their brains, they rack their brains out sitting in so-called groups and discussion meetings trying to figure out what is the mission of the church. Beloved, the mission of the church is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You go ye into all nations and teaching them and make disciples. Listen, you don't have to try to figure out what some yahoo somewhere else is trying to do for their church. We need to focus on the church that Jesus is building. Amen? We're not worried about the church that Rick Warren's building. By the way, don't worry about what Rick Warren's building. You're worried what Jesus Christ is building. I'm not worried about what the Southern Baptists are building. I'm more concerned about what Jesus is building. I'm not concerned about what, what the denominations are doing. I'm more concerned about what us as a local church should be doing. Amen? I mean, come on tonight. We need to be focused on the fact that is the mission of the church. Thirdly, the work of the evangelist is to pioneer and, and be the start of new beginnings. That man who has the, the gift of the evangelist, there he's, he has this keen sense of saying, Preacher, if you think this is where we need to start something, I'll help get it started. I'll help win some souls. I'll help bring them in. The work of the evangelist is to pioneer and be the start of new beginnings. You and I are called to do the work of the evangelist. That's not to downplay the full-time evangelist. There is a place for a full-time evangelist. And I believe that every church should have full-time evangelists that are evangelizing and doing the work of God. But for tonight's purpose, I want you to understand that every one of us needs to do the work of the evangelist. Would you notice the traits of the work of the evangelist? Notice, first of all, in Acts chapter 8, would you go back there, please? In Acts chapter 8, would you notice the work of the evangelist, number one, is he is divinely called. Now, I want you to notice in this passage, interestingly, about how Philip had the calling of the evangelist. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. This is where we get the word, this is where we get the word evangelist from. And he preached Christ to them. Evangelizio means to preach Christ. He preached Christ. He went down and preached Christ. Notice, if you would, verse 26, it says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he went down there, and we read later on, he preached Christ. What I want you to focus is verse 26, is the Lord came to him and gave him a command. If you read verse 26, that is not a suggestion. That is not a hint. That is a command. He said, Get up. 
Get out of your comfort zone. You got a good ministry. I've got a better ministry for you. He says, arise and go. There's the word go again, that you should go and teach all nations. Notice verse 39. Later on, the Holy Spirit moves him again. In verse 39, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw no more, and went on his way rejoicing. His calling, is, as I said earlier, is to come alongside of the pastor and of the local church and be an extension of the pastor and winning souls and building up the believers of the church there. Now, all of us are evangelists. The Spirit of the Lord was working in Philip. He led him to three distinct places to be used of God. He used him in, he called him to Samaria. He called him there to the Gaza Strip Desert. He called him later on to move forward, to go to other cities down the coastal area there where Gaza led into. And he went to the city of Azotus, which was formerly Ashdod. And he went to Caesarea and he found his place there. We have been chosen to follow Christ and be fishers of men. We've been commanded to be witnesses from our Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are divinely called to win souls. One of our men, I asked him to come meet me tonight at 5 o'clock. We're praying about an area that we're, we're burned about. And I asked this man to come. And I said, listen, I need you. You have, you have gifts and abilities that God has given you. And I said, I just want you to come alongside of me to pray with him about God doing something, especially where he lives right now. And we just prayed over cities. We started praying about streets and cities and praying over that. And we're committing ourselves this summer praying to get the Lord's mind about what, what God can do there. I'm saying tonight, He's burdened now. He's burdened about being the evangelist for that area there. And I'm just saying tonight, we are divinely called to win souls. Listen, we need evangelists among the student population. And we need evangelists in our cities. And you need to be an evangelist in your community. And we need to be evangelists of particular streets and areas. We need to be evangelists over parks and places like that. We need to be Evangelist over subdivision. Listen, some of you, God needs to give you boldness to be an evangelist in that multinational corporation that you work in. And God needs to use some of you to kind of pierce some of those corporate policies. Instead of them worrying about being politically correct, they just need to know that you're not there to be PC politically correct. You're there to be PC to preach Christ. Amen? You'll just be there and be a witness for Jesus Christ there. I'm just saying tonight, we need to win souls to please God. Winning souls is wise. Winning souls pleases God. We need to obey the calling of God. Hey, are you winning souls? Are you trying to get the gospel out? Are you thinking about souls? We need to win souls. Listen, I know we're on vacation time, but don't be in such a vacation. You forget about Jesus. Amen. Let's keep Jesus' problem. Let's make him the focus there. Will you enlist in training to win souls? We decide tonight before it's over. I want to know how I can go. I want to know how I can be trained. I want to know how I can get better. I want to know how God can take me out of my shyness and give me the boldness I need to do the work of God. The evangelist is divinely called. But let's go a little bit further. Notice verses 26 to 29. Notice that the evangelist is devotedly conscious. The, the, the evangelist, is read, read verses 26 to 29, is soul conscious. He is soul conscious. He has a sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit in his life. When I take soul winners out, I, I'm pretty, I break all the rules, amen? Because uh, we, we, we take our maps and, and, and our ladies, thank you for being so patient with me because I don't, I don't do a very good job on the maps there. Now, that means, I mean, you, doesn't mean you shouldn't. But I'm trying to follow the Spirit's lead. And a lot of times, you, if you jump in the car with me, I, I, I'll be driving down and I say, wait a minute, God just put on my heart, let's go down this street over here. We'll go down the street over there and they say, what are you looking for, Pastor? I'm looking for a street where there's a lot of cars parked on the street. Now, either they're stolen cars or they belong to people on that street, amen? And I'm looking for a street where there's a lot of cars. That means people are home because I, I want to spend, I want to use, I want to redeem the time. 
I gotta redeem the time because the days are evil and I just, I wanna make my time profitable as I knock on doors. That doesn't mean the other doors should be neglected. It's just for my time. I just need to be profitable in the usage of my time. And so I'm looking for streets where there's, where there's cars and, and there's things going on and there's activity going on so we can knock on doors and visit with people there. Now we need to be sensitive to that. Notice here in verses 26 to 29. Philip had a successful campaign in Samaria. God used him there. And those people, their hearts were ready for the gospel. And a thriving church was started. And then Peter and John came down there. And they kind of filled in the gaps there because uh, there were some things that needed some filling in. And they came down there to stabilize the church of Samaria. And then they went into all the villages of the Samaritans, as we read in verse 25. And they preached the gospel to them. And the gospel was being spread. Well, you know, God gave, gave Philip help at the, at, the, at the right time. He gave him help to help him get the job done. And as he did so, he went on, he went on from there, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and went on. Now let me park and just tell you something here tonight. Just listen to me. It's a, it's a philosophical statement I'm going to make. I'm for our missionaries having teams as they go out. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've got the calling of God on your life, you can be like a Philip and just be one man out there and get the job done. Okay, there needs to be a little bit of faith because the fear factor then is tells us we need to have the team. Now, I'm for teams and there are areas of the world and we have several missions that have teams and I'm praying for them. And by the way, you need to pray for them that God will bless them. But when those teams become our facade and we're really not going out of that comfort zone and we're not stretching ourselves, everything rises and falls on the leadership. And if that, if that, if the lead team member is not setting the example, everybody else is going to follow them. They're just going to think, what's well, cool if we just have a coffee shop here and we're going to wait for people to come in. Why well, for having coffee shop, but while you're having coffee shop, why don't you be creative and pray for the Lord to open some doors to talk to the neighbor next door too, amen? I'm just saying today, you said, well, pastor, we've got to realize that these restricted access nations are difficult. I know they're difficult, but I can tell you about some of our missionaries who are in restricted asset nations that are just trusting God and they're being used to, hey, Dwight Tomlinson. Dwight Tomlinson's daughter-in-law, a daughter, she grew up on the mission field with her father when he went to Hong Kong back in the 80s. He went to Hong Kong when, when they were just trying to figure out what to do. And he just went there trusting God and learned as much Cantonese as he could. And his daughter went there and just there were some impressions God made in her heart. They came back off the field after five or six years. And God used them to uh, start several trees. In fact, he started the Bay Area Baptist Church down here in the South Bay there. And was instrumental in that going. And, and then God didn't want him there. And God led him all the way down to Newport Beach and, and down actually to Irvine. And just a miracle story there. Oh, God gave property there. But God had been working Brother Thomas's heart for many, many years. He just always had a burden for Asia. And as he got towards his, his 60s there, he was very burdened about that. And God let him start what is known, now known as the Barnabas 1040 ministry. And he's in multiple, multiple restricted access nation countries. In fact, Javier Garcia, who we had here just two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, was first uh, vetted by Dr. Brother Tomlinson. He met him in Vietnam. He vetted him through. And so that's why I felt a little bit at ease about having him come here because he'd already been vetted by Brother Tomlinson. And I checked him out with Brother Thomas. And Brother, Tom, Brother Thomas said, go ahead and have him. Brother Thomas's daughter just started studying the landscape there in Guangzhou, China. She started studying the landscape and she learned this over in Hainan when they were, when she and her husband were there for just kind of just doing some, uh, just kind of just there as a survey there for one year. And she realized that one of the most effective tools they could use is having a book club with the women. Started having a book club using Christian books and using the Bible. And she started having a book club and the women were interested. And she started practicing. She learned her Mandarin very quickly. And she practiced her Mandarin with the women. She said, look, you come. I'll get better my Mandarin. And we can learn this book together. And they started building a crowd through that. They had people to come in through this book club. Now, I don't know if it works here, but it works over there very well. Okay? And they did that. Last Sunday, Brother Tomlinson had a church service. He preached the simple gospel message. Nine adults trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I say nine adults. This is China. 
where they say it takes six months a year. I've been in China. I've preached in church. People get saved in one service. I'm just saying today, listen, we've got to be so conscious of what the Lord's doing. Now, he had a successful campaign in Samaria. And you know, what we typically do, we have a, we're doing well. We say, well, Lord, why are you sending me over here? Look at all these people I'm ministering to. He didn't have that attitude. Watch what happens, verse 26. At the midst, at the height of a successful campaign, the angel of the Lord spake to Philip. Now, he was conscious of the spirits leading his life. Hey, are you in your Bible? Are you listening when the Spirit speaks through the services? Are you listening to just one word? One sentence? Is this one verse? I was, I was in, I was on vacation a year or two ago and was sitting under the preacher. The preacher asked me, would you like to preach? I said, no, I came to be preached too. And he was in Acts chapter 6 that night. He read one verse that, that helped my life that day. I wasn't looking for it, but God knew I needed it. It helped me that day. It helped me for all of last year. Just the one thought that God parked in my mind. That I read that passage so many times. But on that particular night, God spoke to my heart. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? And I'm telling you tonight, beloved, we get so used to sitting in our same old seat, doing the same old thing, and hearing it go in and out of our ears. And we, how many, how many messages and how many callings and leadings of God are we missing? Because we said, well, I've heard that before. Or we miss it because we say, well, I heard Dr. Farrell preach it better. Listen, if it's God's word, every word of God is pure. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam, amen? I'm not saying I'm a donkey, but I'm just saying God uses that, amen, okay? Watch this, the angel of the Lord spake to him and said, and he very simply said, rise and go. You know, we need to return to old-fashioned biblical Christianity. When God says, arise, you just go. And we do, we debate the matter. Well, I've got to pray more about it. I've got to see what the Scripture... If God said in His Word, you need to obey it. Arise and go. Arise and go. He says, arise and go, He said, uh, towards the south, unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. Hey, when we have our missionaries come, listen to their testimonies, how God, through His Word, speaks to them. And going to where they're at. Uh, we've got a young man. Uh, I'm going to be talking to the deacons about on, on Tuesday. A young man. His brother Naranjan Sindaraj. Uh, who's a friend of mine. Who was here several years ago. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a godly Sri Lankan man. That uh, survived the bom- a bombing back in the 90s there in Sri Lanka. And uh, God changed his life there. And he's just on fire for when he sows for Christ. And he helped. He helped really just was the catalyst. in pulling together Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia. And it's just it's a blessing. And his son just recently graduated from Bible college. Just a great heart for God. His son has spent the last several months down in, in Sri Lanka with our good missionary, Brother Terry Unruh, praying about what God wants to do. Now, 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 now Brother Soren grew up down there, and he understand, actually grew up in Australia, and he's, and he's Sri Lankan by background. He understands all that. But he was praying for that. And I was reading his letters. He wrote out, he was writing to pastors. He wrote to me specifically. He said, Pastor Farm, would you consider uh, coming alongside of us and helping us? And, and he explained his calling there. And he, and he pointed to a verse of Scripture from Genesis chapter 12. When I read that verse, I said, man, I, I can see how God led him there. And God convinced him his heart and his devotions that morning. That's where he's supposed to be. I'm just saying today, maybe in his devotions that morning, uh, uh, Philip was in his devotions, or maybe maybe someone was preaching there in Samaria. Maybe Peter was preaching. We don't know what it is. But the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him in verse 26 and said, Arise, go towards the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And the Bible says, verse 27, He arose and he went, and he went to find this man. Now God led him specifically to one man. 
And I want to declare tonight, if God leads you and me just to one man, we need to obey the Holy Spirit. One man, one woman, whoever it may be, God leads us to that person. Here is this man going and doing what he does. Now watch this tonight. I want to make a statement about the full-time evangelist. I believe an evangelist has a life that is always on the move, in a state of flux and subject to change at any time. We use the term itinerant to describe the full-time evangelist. He's never settled on staying one place. You talk to Dr. Getz, he's never settled on staying one place. Talk to Dwight Smith, they are not settled on staying one place. They are not, they do, they do not sense at any point in their life at this moment that they are supposed to be pastoring a church. They are called to get up and take the gospel. They're following the tender leading of the Lord to where they're supposed to go and how they preach the gospel. Now I'm just saying to you tonight, you may not be called to be a full-time evangelist, men, but ladies and men, tonight all of us should be evangelists in the sense we should be soul conscious. We should be, we should be devotedly conscious. Lord, where do you want me to go today? Lord, what is it you want me to do today? This past week, I'll give you an example. This past week, I'm thankful we started up Wednesday soul winning and tried to organize our schedule. Wednesday we organized so many and we had about 19 or 20 there i'm just thankful for people that come and people who are who are off on the daytime able to come for that and by the way if you're off on a wednesday you come down this wednesday we're not meeting because july 4th but the following wednesday we are and i'm thankful for people who came and i'm training one of our men to go to, uh, in, the, in the in the tools and, and the tools and techniques of so winning and, and learning all the nuances and techniques with that and what to read and so forth and we got in the car and he, i had talked to him the week before about being so conscious he said pastor i'm so excited we had some of my relatives we reached last week can we go see one of my relatives again. I said, did you call him? He said, did I call them? He said, man, they're texting. They want to know what time we're coming. I said, man, we're going to go there. And we went on the border of Oakland, San Leandro. And I don't know about you guys, but I've knocked on a lot of doors there. That is a hard area. And that's an area that needs a lot of door knocking. It needs a lot of sowing of seed. It needs to get the fallow ground broken up there. Amen. But we went there and we met his relatives and one of his relatives, very stoic face. You ever meet someone with a stoic face? You can't figure out where they're going. They got that poker face. Well, is he listening to me or not listening? Is he with me or not with me? And he came, they were listening to me and we sat down and we chit-chatted. I figured, well, I need a little more time to kind of break the ice with this one. Amen. We spent about 20 minutes just talking about things. And I was just thankful that he was wearing a Golden State Warriors t-shirt. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. And I just kind of went off on that for a few minutes and talked about it. And I got him happy. I got a smile on his face. He got happy. We were talking about the Golden State Warriors. And uh, we were going there. And then I said, hey, that just let me tell you why I'm here because I don't want to waste your time. By the way, how many believe you shouldn't waste people's time? Amen. I said, I'm here because I don't want to waste your time. I said, I, I think you know why I'm here, but I'm going to tell you why I'm here. I told him why we were there. We started getting the gospel and I started explaining things to him, started asking him questions. Man, an hour later, there, God's working, working all over and the Holy Spirit's in that meeting. And this man, his wife, and their two sons were listening. Two sons were here this week at, at our, our kids' camp. They were listening to the gospel presentation. They were listening very carefully. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I used to go to this church. I used to go to Baptist church. So I said, I'm glad you went to Baptist church. But, sir, I'm going to ask you, are you born again? I looked at his wife. I said, ma'am. I said, where'd you go? She said, I went to Catholic church. Well, I said, well, I'm glad you went to some kind of a church. But let me ask you, if you died right now, what percentage are you sure you're going to heaven? She says, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. And she said, Pastor, I'll be real honest with you. I can't even put a percentage on it. I'm very worried about where I'm going to spend eternity. I said, well, that's why God sent us here today. We finished explaining the gospel. And I and I always give people this opportunity to say no to me. Now, some of us get nervous if they tell us no, amen, you know. But I give them the opportunity to tell me no. I ask them, can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't receive Jesus Christ? Your can you give me one good reason why you shouldn't tell God you repent of your sins and that you need Jesus your Savior? And I, and I just, shut up. Give me one good reason. Give me five good reasons. Give me any reason. They looked at each other and they said, 
We can't think of any reason. I said, can you think of any reason why you shouldn't get saved right now? He looked at his wife. He says, Mama, what do you want to do? Good man, amen? Now we know who's the leader in the home, amen? What do you want to do, okay? She says, I want to do what you should do. And I thought, well, I better break the fight up before it gets bad here, amen, you know? And I got involved, in, and, 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 they, and they, they proceeded to ask Jesus to be a savior. That man did something never happened to me before. As soon as he asked Jesus to be a savior, he got up out of his seat and made his way towards me with his hand out. Now, I didn't know if he was going to punch me or what he was going to do. And I wasn't prepared for it. I just opened my eyes. I'm thinking, maybe I should keep my eyes open when they prayed to ask Jesus to save him. Amen? And he made his way over there and he had his hand extended. He had, a, he had a smile on his face. Brother Lewis from Valtteri. He had his hand out and he says, thank you, pastor, for telling me how to get saved today. Amen. We need to be devotedly conscious. Verse 27, he rose and he went. He obeyed the Spirit's leading. Let me tell you something that happened this morning. I was getting ready to pray a little bit more this morning. And I saw my phone light up in my office. Brother Danny and Sandra and their children are vacationing over in Japan. And Danny sent this message. It was so electrifying. He said, hey, I want you guys to know. Sandra's stepmom, we just finished witnessing to her, and she just accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. They went all the way over to Kyoto, Japan. And one of the purposes of going there, because I, Denny's been with, we've been together over in New Zealand, and, and I've watched him, we tried to witness to his, his family over there, Sandra's family there. And one of the purposes of going there was not just a vacation, they wanted to see family, but they thought, you know what, we're going to see family, we get one opportunity, we better get the gospel there. And he's, this way he described, the deacons of Valtteri who saw the text, but she described this way, there were tears of rejoicing when it was all done. That's a blessing, amen? I, I'm just saying today, we need to be devotedly conscious. We need to be soul conscious. And Philip, as he was having a great campaign, being used of God, was saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God said, rise, and I want you to go down south towards an area toward, uh, by Jer- from Jerusalem unto an area which is called Gaza, the, Dever- the desert. Do you recognize the voice and the leading of the Spirit? So number one, we see his calling. Number two, he's conscious. Number three, very quickly, would you notice verse 29? In verse 29, the work of the evangelist, he must be compassionate. He must be delicately compassionate. You know, our natural inclination is not to get close to people. Our natural inclination is to have allow them some space. We want some space. Notice verse 29, God saw that with Philip, he was a little bit reluctant. We all get that way, by the way. He was a little bit reluctant. I'll be honest with you. He was out of his campaign in Samaria and he was in a desert area. He felt like, kind of like, I got to get familiar with where I'm at right now. I'm not sure what to do. And he was at a distance. And it may be just the, the, this man, this Ethiopian man in his royal garment, sitting in a chariot, maybe that intimidated him. You know, in those days, a man standing in a, in a chariot is kind of like a guy being chauffeured in a Rolls Royce. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it may have intimidated him a little bit because he's like, I'm just a poor Baptist preacher here, man. He says, this guy, you know, this, well, look at this guy. I mean, he's worth a lot of money here, you know. And, and he probably was a little bit intimidated. You know, he looked very educated. And he saw the man reading a scroll containing Isaiah 53, okay? Now, let me just give you a thought about that. I learned this from Brother Ouellette. You know, it's a good thing sometimes just to give a gospel tract to somebody. Here's what you can say. You give them a gospel tract and say, hey, this is something that we wrote. Would you read this? And if I come back tomorrow, would you tell me what you think about it? 
You get a conversation with them. Hey, would you read this? You know, students, you can do this at school. Say, hey, here's something that our church produces. Would you read this and tell me what you think about it? Pro or con, negative, positive. Just tell me what you think about it. You just want the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Amen? And so this man is reading Isaiah 53. The Bible says he had just come back from Jerusalem. And he'd been there. And he got a copy of Isaiah 53. You know what I believe? I believe some apostle gave that in track passing. Now, that's a big track, but it's track passing. Amen? And he gave him a big scroll, but it was track passing. I mean, bless God, it was still track passing back in those days. Aren't you glad they miniaturized it a little bit, amen, since then. So he gets this, he's reading Isaiah 53, and you know, he's watching this, he sees this man in royal garments, he's standing in a chariot, look at verse 29. He's sitting there reading that, and I, and I imagine in verse, we get to verse 29, Philip doesn't know what to do. He's debating his mind, do I go to him, Go not go to him? Now watch what the Spirit says here, because we miss this when we go so many. The Spirit said to Philip, and this was important, it wasn't Philip speaking to himself, the, the Spirit of God had to compel him and help reason with him what was the right thing to do. And in verse 29 he says, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Listen, we don't win souls from a distance. We don't win souls uh, by, by sitting behind our computers, playing with our cell phones, or through social media. We win souls by getting up close to the center. Go, get, go, get. He said, look at verse 29. He says, go near and join thyself to the chariot. You know what the word join thyself means? It's the same idea as the word cleave. He says, you would become united with him. You become with him. You get into the same sphere with him. You get into the same room with him. You sit right by them. Last, last November, as we were getting ready, I think it was last November, so no, last December. As we were getting ready for our Christmas musical on that Saturday night, I'd been burdened for Rose Mercado's husband, Arnold. Rose got saved the year before, July. One of our men went when we were door knocking, and I talked to her many times. But that particular day, she was just open. She just was, there was a burden on her heart. I didn't know that. She had opened her door that July of 2015. Brother Din was with me. And that woman, she, she heard the gospel. She trusted Christ. She came the very next Sunday. The week after that, I was burdened to go back that home. I saw her, her mother in the back room, but I didn't get a chance to talk to her mother. I got God burdened for I wasn't sure if her mother spoke English or proficient English. I asked Brother Josh Pingoy to come with me. I said, Brother Josh, first qualification, how good is your Tagalog? Amen? And he said, my Tagalog's good. I said, can you witness in Tagalog? He said, yes. I said, okay, I'm going to put you to test. We're going to be so many partners today. Amen? And so Brother Josh and I went there, and we sat on the couch, and I'll tell you how close we got. She sat in the middle. We were like two pieces of bread and the bologna in the middle. Amen? We sat right next to her. He explained the gospel. I chimed in with English. She got saved. She got saved. In fact, she was here this morning, sitting right over here today. And so I was burdened for Arnold. I met Arnold several times. He'd come to church, but he hadn't gotten saved. I was burdened for Arnold. And he'd been on my prayer list for several months, praying for Arnold to get saved. So finally I got a hold of Rose. And I said, Rose, is there any way I can make an appointment to visit with your family? And I'd like to specifically just sit down with Arnold to tell him how to get saved and why it's important to get saved. And she picked that day. It happened to be that Saturday morning of our, of our Christmas musical. I got there, and we were chit-chatting a little bit, and she was sitting next to him, and then I got up really close to both of them. She already knew how to get saved, and I got down, and I said, Arnold, I want to tell you something, the greatest news you could ever hear, you've heard it for many, many Sundays, and I got to explain the gospel to him, and that, that morning, after about 45 minutes, just going over and answering questions, Arnold Mercado bowed his head and received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And I'm telling you today, you need to go near and join thyself. You've got to get near to where the sinner is. You've got to get exactly where they're at. You've got to be in their place. 
place. Listen, Jesus went near to the tree where Zacchaeus was. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Jesus went to the lepers and touched the lepers. Listen, the woman who had the issue of blood, she touched the back of the garment, Jesus, but she was close enough she could hear his words saying, who touched me? I'm saying tonight, we've got to get close to the sinner. We've got to win souls up close. We win impact people by getting up close to them. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. The work of the evangelist is one of compassion. It might be tonight, just this evening, God is working your heart and mine. The heart of compassion for a family member, someone that we need to get the gospel to. Quickly, number four. The evangelist is divinely called. The evangelist is devotedly conscious. The evangelist is delicately compassionate. Number four, notice the evangelist must be distinct in his communication. Now I'm going to make a confession to you. When I first got saved, there was a track uh, company. It was a non-profit track company. I think they're called the Good News Track Company or something like that. And one of the tracks they produced was called the Romans Road to Heaven. I didn't have a soul winning class to go to in the church I got saved in. And I was burning because the preacher would preach about soul winning. I so wanted to know how to tell people about the Lord. One afternoon during a break in my father's store, because every afternoon after church, after school I would take a bus and I'd go down number 40 bus from downtown Oakland and I would make my way to East Oakland and I'd go to work for my dad from 3.30, 4 o'clock or so to 7 or 7.30, whatever closing time was. But during a break one time, I picked up that track and I started looking at it and I thought, you know, if I'm going to learn the gospel, there's a reason why they present it this way here. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to learn the Romans Road to Heaven. I didn't even know that's what you're supposed to do, but that's what I did. And I memorized the Romans road to heaven and I learned that way that that learned how to present it and I practice and I practice and I practice. Listen, in so winning, one of the essentials of so winning, you've got to practice and you've got to practice and you've got to practice how to present the plan of salvation. Years ago, I went with a Bible college student. Nothing against a Bible college, nothing against a student. But I could tell he had, not been, he had not been trained thoroughly in how to present the plan. And we were over here, Brother, Brother Curtis, we were out in your, your area where you live. We were over there in that area of Ardenwood, wherever it is. We were out there knocking doors. It was 7 o'clock at night. How many understand, you've got to be very careful what you say at 7 o'clock at night. Amen? And uh, we knocked on the door. People came to the door. And it was his turn. He started talking. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even understand what he was saying. I had no idea what this man was talking about. And he just started going around. And the, and the homeowner there got very agitated, angry. He says, what do you want? And I'll be honest with you, I felt bad for the soul winner. I felt very bad for the homeowner. He said, what do you want? Are you trying to sell me something? What is it you want, sir? He said, I don't understand a thing you're saying. And the soul winner didn't apologize or anything. I abruptly jumped in because I didn't want this to, to, to just melt down to disaster. I jumped in and said, sir, we're from Heritage Baptist Church, and we're just telling the neighbors about the Lord, and we would like to invite you to our church. This is Tuesday night. We'd like to invite you to Heritage Baptist Church and visit. And he calmed down a little bit. I tried to soothe things out. I said, listen, you're busy tonight. Can we come back another time and tell you what our church is all about? He said, yeah, you can do that. He says, thank, thank you for just telling me all that. He said, I'm busy right now. He shut the door. And I went and took our soul winner's side. I said, listen, I know you're good at what you do and you're a great track pastor but I said listen to me I think it would do you good you practice your presentation and listen a lot of times what we need to do is we need to practice our presentation we need to be distinct in our communication a good soul winner is one that always is working on what they say listen if you've arrived at the place that you think you have it down you need to get resharpened again in your soul winning you need to get resharpened again because none of us have it down watch what happens here verse 30 
Now he's reading, he's holding the scroll, this what I call the gospel track of the first century, amen? And the Bible says in verse 30, he's reading this track and Philip, he's listening, obeying the Holy Spirit. Then Philip ran thither to him and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. He's reading it out loud. And he said, understandest thou what thou readest? Now that's good. You can, you can see somebody reading a track, reading the Bible. You can go to them and say, do you understand what you're reading? Understandest thou what thou readest? And the man said, how can I accept some man to guide me? Hey, that's an open invitation. Show me. Tell me what this is all about. How can I accept some man to guide me? Do you understand something? There are hordes of people that are just waiting for you and I to sit down with them, to explain to them why Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. There are people that are waiting for us to tell them about the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are people waiting for you and I to tell them that God is the creator of the world and evolution is bunk. There are people that want to know Jesus died for their sins. But I'm telling you, we get so caught up on a formula and we get so caught up about doing our thing, we're not listening. Listen, the very first thing he did, he asked the question. You all, listen, statements accuse, questions convict. He asked the question, did he not? Understandest thou what thou readest? He says, hey, can I tell you what it's all about? He didn't do that. He came to him compassion. He wanted this man who was of a different culture, who was of a different economic status, who was a man much more educated than Philip, a man that was very wise, and yet a man that was hungry in his soul to know what was going on. He's reading the scroll that is, where Isaiah 53 is, and he come to the part and mentioned, I think, verses 6, 7, and 8 are there, and he's reading those portions there. And, and Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? Except some man guide me. And notice verse 31, he desired Philip. He'd come up and sit with him. Now that would have happened if Philip was way away. He's obviously, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He had to get up close to that chariot. He had to get right, he had to join himself. I mean, he was literally just one foot away from getting that chariot. And he was at, he positioned himself so the man would invite him to come in. That's happened to me so many times the last few weeks where we position ourselves and we go so many. And this happened, this happened again yesterday where we were, we, we were knocking on doors and visiting with people and they said, would you like to come in? Would you like to come in? Go near and join thyself. So watch what happens here. And he says that the place of scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And Philip, notice verse 35, he opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. There's the work of the evangelist right there. He opened his mouth. There's the opportunity. What you're looking for when you're door knocking, when you're visiting, when you're working your relatives, you're looking for that one opportunity where there, where you can get this question asked and they, they're open to hearing you and you can open your mouth and you preach to them Jesus Christ. We must be distinct in our communication. And let me make some statements to you this evening. He helped this man to understand what Isaiah 53 is all about. By the way, you can still lead souls to Christ from Isaiah chapter 53. He helped this man to understand who Jesus was. He made Jesus come alive out of Isaiah 53. He made Jesus understandable. He made Jesus convincing. He made sin convicting. He made Jesus compelling. 
I mean, I'm going to ask you tonight, how could you not read Isaiah 53 and not get saved? That's why if you try to witness to a Jew and try to use Isaiah 53, many of them say, well, we don't consider that part of the canon of what we believe in. We don't want to hear from Isaiah 53. So you know what you need to do? You need to go through Exodus and talk about the Passover. You need to go through Leviticus and talk about the feasts. Amen. You can go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. You can take the example of Abraham offering of Isaac. Listen, the scripture, the gospel is all over those first five books of the Bible. You can take the book of Psalms and explain the gospel to them. Listen, we need to remind ourselves tonight that we, we should not ramble about Jesus. We must preach Jesus. We should not cause confusion about Jesus. We must preach Jesus. Don't talk about yourself. Preach Jesus. There's a time and place for your testimony, but preach Jesus. Give a person the track and help them understand what they're reading. Take the Gospel of John and help them understand what they're reading. We had an organization, a good organization, Prince New Testament, recently contacted a pastor friend of mine, and we're going to be in communication with them this week. They want to produce a, a substantial number of New Testaments, and they want to come alongside of our church and help us, and we'll help, we work together and distribute thousands of Gospels of John's and Gospels of Romans to reach our area in Christ. They want to translate it in Mandarin Chinese. They already have it in Spanish. They want they have it in English. They want to reach. I'm telling you what tonight, what an opportunity to be able to put that in somebody's head. It says, by the way, would you read this section? I'll come back next week. Or I'll come back tomorrow. Would you tell me what, if you understand what you read? And let's talk about it. What an opportunity to get the gospel to people. But I'm saying tonight, one of the key elements of witnessing, we must be distinct in our communication. Now, let me ask you to do yourself a favor this week or the next two weeks. Go to another soul winner who's a little bit more experienced than you. And practice explaining the gospel to them and ask them candidly, do I make sense? Am I clear? Do I make Jesus compelling? Am I explaining the scriptures? Am I making it clear to them? You say, well, that's pretty intimidating. We're not going to get good unless we get some good feedback. Amen? We've got to get some good feedback. And I'm, I'm encouraging you today, if you'll do that, it'll help you get out of your comfort zone, help you get out of your discouragement, help you get out of a place to realize maybe your closing needs to be stronger, or maybe your opening needs to be a little bit stronger, or maybe you're coming across on too strong at the closing, and that's why they don't want to get saved. Or maybe you don't have a strong follow-through at the end. But we need to practice what we are learning or what we have learned to know where we need to show up and be willing to receive honest feedback to help you in that area. By the way, the hardest people to witness to are our own family members. And if that being the case, we really need to get honest feedback to help us understand, is my communication distinct in my communication? And by the way, some of us here tonight, and it's okay, so tonight will never be strong communicators. But you know what? You can, you can take that situation and bring a strong soul winner to come alongside of you to help present it for you. Amen? And you can get someone to come alongside to help you so you don't feel like, well, I feel like I can't get it done. You can get somebody to work because we're doing teamwork and trying to get the gospel. But Philip had to get to the evangelist. And get, Philip was being used of God to clearly be distinct in his communication. Number five, what you notice is, quickly. Number five, the evangelist is directed to conversions. He doesn't leave them hanging. He's looking for that opportunity. The Holy Spirit says, okay, go for the close. And notice what happens in verses 36 to 38 here, okay? Philip, in verse 35, opens his mouth, begins at the same scripture, and preaches to him Jesus. Notice verse 36. And as they went on the way, and I like this, they're walking, or they're probably in the chariot. He's moving his chariot along, he's led by the horses. And as they went on their way, they came to certain water. Now, there's something about this sizable body of water that caught 
the eunuch's attention. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it happens in so many, something caused, caught, catches their attention. Maybe it's a bit, by the way, by the way, you can use this new building as an opportunity to get the gospel to people. You can talk, talk about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of your faith. I mean, there's opportunities galore as a God. You, you can use our church vehicles to talk about people, about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many, many ways. But notice what happens here. In verse 36, he says, he said, see, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now watch what happens here. They're talking. There's the explanation. And, you know, Isaiah 53, you just can't explain it in five minutes. Isaiah 53, I mean, it's, it's, it's got, it's, just, it's, it's Bible there. Isaiah 53 is convicting. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. I mean, there's, there's a gospel all over Isaiah 53. The Holy Spirit's working on this eunuch, this Ethiopian man. He's under great conviction. And he, he stops his chariot. He parks his chariot by the size of a body of water. He said, here's water. And he knew something about baptism. He knew something about the fact that droves of people were getting saved and being baptized, but he didn't understand at that moment in time the correlation between baptism and salvation. Now watch this. I talked to a lot of people that come from Asia. And a lot of people from Asia, if you ask them if they get saved, they'll always say this to you, I got baptized. And I'll ask the question, that's fine, but did you get saved? Did you get saved? And a lot of people equate baptism with salvation. May I reiterate, as we've said many times before, baptism does not save you. The water does not wash your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sins. Amen? And so, this man stopped there and he heard all these things, but he couldn't correlate baptism with conversion. He didn't realize conversion comes first. He didn't realize that, that baptism, according to Peter, is different. It's just a symbol. It's a, real, it's, it's a representation of a salvation. He said, what hinders me baptism? He says, now, I know there's something important about what you're telling me. But he says, I also know this. I think based on what you're telling me, going in the water is not going to save. Now, he was getting it. And he said, he asked a question. So Philip seized upon it. He said, this man's ready. His heart's tender. He's ready to get saved. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. Now, back in those days, they didn't have all the crazy cults running around as we have right now. I mean, Satan, Satan's a master imitator. And Satan's an angel of light. And he's got all these cults running around now and false religion, false things. But at that time, they were just fighting the fact that Judaism was their biggest obstacle at that time. And he says, listen, sir, if you would just believe with all your heart, you can be saved. And he's putting the emphasis on faith alone in Jesus Christ. The word believe means with all your heart. The word believes not, it wasn't just a word they were saying. It was saying with my heart, soul, and mind, I believe, I commit the eternal destiny of my soul to Jesus Christ. He says, if you believe with all your heart, that you, you believe with all your heart that, that, that in Isaiah 53, that's Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, God who died for your sins, God who shed his blood. And if you read Isaiah 53, God who was buried and yet he rose again from the dead. He said, if you would believe though with all your heart, you can't be saved. Well, listen, that's what the man needed to hear. He needed to hear the closing statement that if you believe, you can be saved. And notice verse, verse 37. The man said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That moment, that man made what we would call a very simple but very profound profession of his faith. I believe. I believe with all my heart. I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, I believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died for my sins. Right at that moment of time, the Ethiopian in Acts 8.37, he got saved. 
He got saved. He got settled. His name was written in, in, in the Lamb's book of life. He was saved at that moment of time. As we try to win souls, we give an invitation. Would you like to get saved? Can you think of any reason why you shouldn't get saved? Sometimes you realize that the person's not ready and you just have to say, okay, I realize maybe today's not a good day. May I come back and see you another time? You can always keep the door open. Always leave it open. Maybe for you or another soul to be able to go back and tell them about the Lord there. And But Philip at that moment in time, he recognized this man was ready. He says, would you like to get saved? Would you like to believe on the Lord right now? Give them an invitation. Be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Now be sure you're not giving them a sales pitch. And be sure you're not just kind of giving the formula that says, well, if you pray right now, you can get saved. You need to ask them a question. Can you think of any reason? Do you understand what you've heard? Do you realize you need to repent of your sins? Do you realize today that you're a sinner? The other day we were talking to a lady about the Lord and we asked this question. I said, do you believe you're a sinner? And I go like this. I go up real close to her. I said, do you believe you're a sinner? And I go, well, yeah, you know. I said, you want to talk about your sins? And the lady said, oh, no, we're not going down there. But that got the conversation going. She started realizing she was a sinner. You know something? So working the gospel. We got to Ephesians 2.89. Talking about Christ died for our sins. And I had to read Ephesians 2.8. And it says, for by grace you saved through faith and not in yourself. I said, ma'am, can you tell me what the word grace means? You know, it's interesting. The number of people you talk to about the gospel... None of them know what the word grace means. That lady, she was here this morning. Well, I think it means this. I think it means that. I think it means this. And I said, that's great. Those are all good words. Can I give you one that will kind of sum it up? She said, sure, preacher. I said, grace means love we don't deserve. Now, I'm not describe this to you, but she choked up. And she teared up. She said, Pastor, she told me how old she was. She says, what is love I don't deserve? She says, if that's how God feels about me, I want to get saved. Love I don't deserve. And so we must realize in the work of the evangelist, we are directed to conversions. Our purpose there is not to waste someone's time. Our purpose here is to get the gospel to them. And as we present it to them, as we watch the Holy Spirit work in their heart, is to give them an invitation to call upon the Lord to save them. Finally, once you look at one last thing, and as an evangelist, we're divinely called. As evangelists, we're devotedly conscious. As evangelists, we're delicately compassionate. As evangelists, we're distinct in our communication. As evangelists, we're directed to conversion. As we close tonight, notice one last thing. As an evangelist, we should be dynamically consumed. Consumed with what? Souls. The next opportunity. Going back and following up. Working, getting them to church. I said this last week, John 15, 16. The hardest work is going back and getting them to church. You got to keep on that, keep on that, keep on it. People don't have the discipline to come. They're, they're, they're scared. They're intimidated. They're overwhelmed. They're afraid of seeing other people. They're afraid of what people think about them. They got, they have people phobia. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're scared about these things. They walk and see this church building. The first thing they said, like a lady said this week, she said, this church is too big for me. I started explaining our Sunday school and all that. She said, whoa, that's what we're all about. I want to be a part of this church. And watch what happens to Philip. He had a successful campaign in Samaria. 
The Lord used him to win the Ethiopian to Christ. Would you notice as we close tonight what the Lord did to him in verses 39 and 40? Verse 38, Philip already had the authority. He was a pastor as well. He was a church planter pastor, and he had the authority from the church of Jerusalem. Right there in that desert, he said, I'm going to see this man again. He baptized that man right there in the body of water. I'm convinced of one thing. That oasis was deep enough he can get the man all the way under the water. Amen. He got him under and got him up. Amen. He got the man baptized. He identified with Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Notice verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, again, here we see the Spirit of the Lord working. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Would you underline those two words, caught away? Did you know the words caught away is the Greek word harpazo? Same where we get our word rapture from. Would you notice here? He caught, he caught him away and he says that the eunuch saw him no more. Now just a thought for you, that's what the rapture is about. When you're taken up, by, when the Lord takes up, they'll see us no more again. Now that's not what it means. He didn't get raptured, but the Lord purposely moved him to another location. God did not intend for him to stay there very long. That's why we know that he had the gift of the evangelist there to help the local church. And the Holy Spirit moved him, and he went on his way rejoicing. And notice verse 40 as we close. Philip was found at Azotus. Where did you find him next? You find him down at another old Philistine city there. God used him to reach Gentiles. He found him there down at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So what should we be consumed with? Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I give you one thought tonight? Especially for those of you who experienced soul winners just trying to labor through this message. Would you just ask God tonight to give you the power of the Holy Spirit? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the power of persuasion. Not the power of our personality. Not the power of intellect. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit wins souls. The power of the Holy Spirit energizes us. Luke said, Jesus being led of the Spirit. Hey, are you being led of the Spirit? We need, number one, we need to be consumed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, we need to be consumed for a passion for souls. Everything we read about Philip is about souls. Last week, did you start working a list? Family? Friends, your fraternities, which is where you work, your neighbors, community service, schools you can be more actively involved in. Did you get anybody in your heart this week? Would you get somebody in your heart tonight? If you didn't make the list, would you make the list tonight at the altar? Would you do like one of our members did? They got somebody on their heart. Last Sunday night and claimed John fifteen sixteen. God saved that young man. Would you get some of your heart this week that God would save? You say, Well, it's July fourth week. I know it's July fourth week, but God doesn't go to sleep on July fourth. He still wins souls on July fourth, amen. Would you do that tonight? Would you be determined to help me as we go through that new building and every building and every room in this church to walk these buildings and imagine all the seats being filled? Imagine what God's gonna do in those Sunday school rooms. Imagine a little child getting saved in the nursery, going to the, going to the toddlers, going from the toddlers to elementary, from elementary to the teens. Can you imagine our midst? There may be somebody there. There may be a young man that God's going to call to be a great evangelist or preacher. Can you imagine adult Sunday school teachers? Can you imagine the multiplying of classes and God was doing? I'm just saying today, we must get a vision and a burden and a soul consciousness and a compassion. And we must be directed to conversions. We must be distinct in our communication. We must be able and willing and ready to be used of God. Would you do that tonight? 
do the work of an evangelist. Paul looked at Timothy. He says, Timothy, you got a lot on your plate, son. You got a lot to do. As a pastor, you've got a lot of things you need to do. He told him you need to stir up the gift of God that's in you. He said, you don't, he said, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, be a good soldier of grace. He said, do this and do that. And then he said, in the midst of all this, he said, watch to be thou watchful in all things. Endure affliction. He said, do the work and vanish. Let me tell you tonight, you may have your trials, you may have your difficulties. You may have your schoolwork. You may have all these things. But listen, tonight, with all those things, let's just do what the Bible says. Let's also do the work in evangelism. Let's just decide to grab some tracts, get an Old New Testament, and say, you know what, I'm going to learn how to get uh, present the gospel. I'm going to learn how to be proficient in it. I'm going to let God use me so that Lord, the Lord can use me in the remaining six months of the year to influence and touch some lives for Jesus Christ tonight. Do that tonight. Say, Lord, help me this evening to do the work of an evangelist. Father, tonight we... Thank you again for just another lesson plan that helps us to understand the importance of touching lives and winning souls. We look at this man, Philip, and God, no wonder you blessed him. Not only did you bless him, but we read Acts 21, 8, and his daughters were doing the same thing that they saw their father do. Father, help us to see me some shortfalls. And reluctance. Maybe even some disobedience. Would you help us tonight? Maybe we didn't make the list of people. Make that list tonight. And to take the list that we started maybe last week or that's been in place. And to pray more earnestly for them. And would you use us tonight as a church going faith forward. Claiming our cities in our streets, and our areas for Christ. And Lord, all we were used of God was to reach one family member. What a difference that would make. Father, energize us tonight. This man, Philip, is such an inspiration. Help us tonight to do the work of the evangelists. We're not full-time evangelists for the most part here, but we need to do the work of the evangelists. We must be conscious. We must be compassionate. We must be distinct in our communication. We must be directed to conversions. And we must be dynamically consumed. Father, have your way tonight as we give the invitation. And then if someone here tonight is not sure they're saved and going to heaven, I pray that tonight they would just see, just as that Ethiopian eunuch man did, they would recognize tonight you love them and you want them to get saved. Have your way tonight in this message as we give the invitation that we come and lay some souls that we're burdened for on the altar. And Lord, that our lives and our ability to speak and communicate the gospel and the burden for souls, that you'd light that fire in our soul. Even as we sang tonight, set my soul on fire. Lord, if that fire is dwindling, helps renew that fire. Put some wood on that fire. Put some coals on that fire. Father, have your way as we give the invitation tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. The piano is going to start playing. You stand. If you, the Lord spoken to you, you come tonight. Whatever God's put on your heart, I invite you to come this evening. Don't put it off. Don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on people. Do the work of the evangelist. Every one of us needs to do our part. Can I encourage you tonight? Would you re-enroll in our outreach, our soul winning? Join us on Saturdays. Join us on Wednesday mornings. Go during the week. We're always here during the week. Would you go? With some of you this evening, ask God to give you boldness. Just to say, preacher, would you train me? Would you show me what to do? Would you come tonight? We're so burned about this thing. Would you come? 
But did you have your part in that tonight? Please come. Many of you got loved ones that need to get saved. My list of people that are lost, many of your family members I'm praying for, that list is growing weekly. Come tonight. Pray for souls to be saved. Don't take no for an answer. Don't let the Holy, don't let the devil make your heart hardened. Let the Holy Spirit keep your heart sensitive and tender. Would you come? Would you come tonight? Father, around the room, we're all praying. Set our souls on fire tonight. We look at the life of Philip. What a great soul winner he was. Help us tonight to do the work of the evangelist. Inspire us tonight. Overcome our fears and our weaknesses and to be used of God. Our prayers are lifted up to you tonight. And we claim as we close tonight, John 15, 16, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do for you. Lord, we're praying for an army of soul winners you'll raise up. We're praying for folks that will be bold to proclaim the gospel. We pray for our loved ones to get saved. We pray, Lord, for our cities to be reached with the gospel and sinners to be saved. We pray to fill up every room and every chair in all of our buildings with people who can come to Christ as Savior. Whether they're English-speaking or non-English-speaking, Lord, use us to win souls. I look around the room and majority of the folks here tonight have family members who are not saved. And God, would you burden us in a way like we've never had before for their salvation tonight. God, use us tonight. Be honored through what happens here. As we're reminded by faith tonight, the faith of Joshua, faith honors God and God honors faith. We pray that you will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think tonight. Would you bless and use us tonight for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.